You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat. Thank you for joining us this evening. What an interesting day that icon Tina Turner passed away today. A woman who endured so much in her life, who was resilient, who overcame abuse and so many things that her life faced to become a shining star and a beacon in this world for all that she did, her music, her personality, her vibrancy. I'm grateful that that happened today because our guest this evening is a woman of similar character and attributes. And I have so many things I could say about her, but this evening's show, we are welcoming Dr. Karen Johnson. Our community knows her as Dr. J. Dr. J was recently relieved of her duties as the Director of Equity for Washington State. And it's raised a lot of questions in our minds. It's raised a lot of questions in my mind. There are a lot of things that I think we should talk about. And so this conversation tonight is not necessarily that it's happened. It's how it happened and the disproportionate termination of black women from corporate America that you hear in my intro, that this is predictable, I have seen it my entire career. I think many of you know I'm a former HR executive. And so it warrants a conversation tonight that is beyond what I would call the narrative or the typical narrative of somebody's just been fired and let's move on. I think we owe it to Dr. J to hear from her this evening and talk through what she's experiencing, what she experienced. And what does this mean for her and for us as other Black people, Black leaders, Black women specifically? Welcome, Dr. Karen Johnson, onto Heartbeat with me this evening, Dr. J. Thank you, Cindy. It's good to be here. It's the first time I met you in person. I've talked to you several times on the right, phone, so I'm right. happy that I get to know you. Likewise. Yes. <clears throat> I want to start off this evening. I just want you to talk about yourself. Like you're a very accomplished woman. And so I want to hear, and I think our, the public wants to hear, talk to us about your background. I mean, look, you have a doctorate, like you are clearly a highly educated woman, but let's talk about your whole background, what you've done in your life, who, what you stand for, what are some of your accomplishments? What do you want our community to know about you? Wow. <laughs> I definitely was not expecting that question this evening in light of what's happened because it's not about me. You know, Tina Turner said it best. What's love got to do with it? So really my background is one of having the opportunity to live out love. You know, born in the East uh, Coast, great state of New York, eldest of three children, during the time where our ancestors had fought for civil rights. So I'm blessed. We grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods, went to white schools, um, got my what? high school, first black inducted as National Honor Society, president of the class every year. And because I beat Steve Cardamone every year, I let him, I didn't run for class president, senior class president, even though they gave the speech at graduation. I decided to run for a student council president and did that. College, you know, Syracuse, Old Dominion, bachelor's, master's, uh, PhD, Dr. J and I resented the whole process <laughs> because I needed to get the education to demonstrate on paper that I was qualified. Mm. And as you know, the grandparents and the parents told us we had to be twice as good as white mm. people to be considered half as good. And I didn't really understand that because I was uh, just a math whiz mm. and I didn't understand how you could put in twice as much and equals half as much. And she just said, keep living. Mm. Worked with the Department of Veterans Affairs. I'm just so thrilled about that. That's where I got my love for our nation's veterans. And these young men, not women back then, I always remember I look younger, Cindy, than I am. And so last century, 
Most veterans were men. And here I was confronted with men who went to war willing to lot to give their life to die so I could sleep safely in my bed here on this land. And they came back as paraplegics. Uh, couldn't breathe, had to do rage of motion. And I decided that I'm going to give my life in service for our veterans. And if there are any veterans listening at the sound of our voice tonight, I honor you and always will. Had a great career at the VA, uh, served as an occupational therapist, worked in personnel, when uh, trained by Office of Personnel Management, did the whole gamut then. It was their first EEO technical uh, uh, employee development specialist. So back then we had to do equal employment opportunity, affirmative action, upward mobility, similar right? Background. All yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then did career development, all the supervisory training and all staff training and leadership development, all that. Was promoted into the region four in uh, the VA at the time, which was 14 Midwestern states. We had 44 hospitals and my job was to create the first regional equal employment opportunity program in the Department of Veterans Affairs. And we were located in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the Frank Lloyd Wright building. And I still had the best breakfast ever there in Anthony's or Antonio's, I think it was, and all the places I've been. And while there, I was asked to put together the our region's provincial sexual harassment training. So I, I did that actually in one day. And that was used nationally in a central office in Washington, D.C. to train about 280,000 uh, new VA employees in the prevention of sexual harassment. Was able to develop a trainer trainer program for the person doing EEO work in all 44 facilities in one year so that they could be ambassadors for that work back then. Uh, from there, went into Cleveland, was asked to go in because they had racial issues that Diane Sawyer had lodged on Primetime Live. So I was brought in to be one of the first black people behind what we call the double doors, which would you all now call the C-suite. And so I was the right hand to the hospital director. And my job was to, one, work with Congress, um, uh, Representative Louis Stokes at the time, to get parking for our veterans while dealing with the aftermath of the Diane Sawyer um, expose and just had a great time overseeing also EEO then. And then from there, you know, did my training in Ann Arbor again to be a hospital administrator and my first assignment in the James E. Van Zandt VA Medical Center in, located in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And that's equidistance between Philadelphia and, and, and Pittsburgh, about 40 miles to the south of State College where Penn State is located. And my job there was to totally redesign their siloed um, medical center into a, a, a high-performing, patient-centered healthcare delivery system. And then gave up my career in 1997 to obey the heavenly call, gave up my money, uh, my family, and moved here to the Pacific Northwest to just do the will of God. And that's how I'm here met some great people, a lot of all throughout the state. For me, really Spokane is what I consider my home here in Washington State. That's where people who love me um, and I love them and they don't really, they definitely don't look like me. They have way less melanin than I do, <laughs> yes. but that's where my family is okay. and have done, been blessed to do some great work. Worked in state government, started off in state government in where employment security department, uh, Department of Social and Health Services, Department of Corrections, did a lot of work with nonprofits, uh, private sector, missionary work, because the definition of a missionary is to, to help people. Yes. So what's love got to do with it? Who am I? What I believe in? I believe in that fundamentally it's all about love, because if love has nothing to do with it, then I get to come on shows like this <laughs> and have conversations with you and lead the Office of Equity, the first of its kind in the nation, mm -hmm. because we're just not really modeling love one for another. Mm -hmm. Clearly an accomplished woman, clearly somebody who has a lot of experience, someone who's done a lot with her life and who has given her life in service to other people. You know, Dr. J, when I, when I reached out to 
have you come on the show, my initial thoughts about what I wanted to talk to you about have changed a little bit because initially um, I was going to come at this different, but then I saw the interviews with Channel 5 and some of the articles written in the paper. And again, I'm a former HR executive, so some red flags went up for me when I was reading these articles and I listened to your interview. Can you explain like what happened? And I'm not trying to get into, um, I, I'm not trying to point fingers at people, but what struck me when I heard the interviews is how you found out about your, um, I just used the term uh, relieved of duties. I The term firing is just so strong, but um, can you talk to us about what happened? And, you know, is that how you found out is in the press? Is that true? Oh, wow. So you're taking me into a space. Well, first, yes, let me go ahead and do this. Okay. And just, just to publicly thank the governor, the chief of staff, Jamila Thomas, the deputy chief of staff, Kelly Wicker, everyone who interviewed me, Councilwoman Betsy Wilkerson, Kevin Quigley, Emily Beck, Lorraine Lee, Rochelle Davis, and I don't remember who else because I did the very best that I could to help them not put me forward. Because I knew then that no black person in their right mind would want this position. Definitely not a black woman in her right mind, of which I am. Because we really don't want to spend the time to have conversations like this. Mm -hmm. um, convincing white people, or any people really, that they wanted to do something that they had no intention of doing. But if indeed, we really wanted to leave a legacy for the governor. And if he wanted to leave a legacy for his children, his children's children, down through the generations, of laying a solid foundation of equity and justice for all, that shifted the trajectory, not only of this state, but of this nation, then I'd be interested in having a conversation with them around this work. They did, I did, and I'm grateful that the good Lord used them to bring me in and the good Lord used them to take me out. I was shocked and devastated when I learned at the counter of Best Buy, when I was buying my computer and monitors and little, all my little stuff I needed to start writing books and moving on to the next phase of ministry, that the reasons that you all are seeing in the press were the reasons for my release of duties. When I left the room, I was at peace, a little concerned that, you know, how the messaging went and felt, well, you know, everybody else who leaves at least gets a chance to write the it's with bittersweet emotion email. <clears throat> but to find out that um, there really were reasons that I knew nothing about. From a news reporter standing in line in Best Buy, it hurt. And I asked him, what on earth did you say to them for them to say that about me? Because, you know, everybody knows when you serve the pleasure of the governor, child, you don't, need any, don't even need any reason. Actually, back, back east in my day, the conversation went like this. Hey. It's not working because you're not working. So what do we need for you to leave? And you're not talking, we're not talking. Now, that's how our conversations go. Ours went, your number with the first person, we need to do something different, let's move on. Bada boom, bada bang. What, were so some it of the hurt. what are some of the reasons? I mean, I read about it, but what did I don't even, you? I don't even, uh, let's see. So uh, I think, because I'm not ready either, because it hurt. Mm-hmm. Not so much, well, see, not so much that they weren't true because, well, let's see, so high vacancy rate, high turnover rate, uh, budgetary concerns. See, there's all issues that I had raised with my supervisors in January to say, hey, I need to drop down from 100,000 feet to get boots on the ground to spend some time with the team so we can lay this solid foundation. Asked not to do that at that time. I went out on some wellness leave because just the trauma 
of navigating a racist, oppressive system mm -hmm. that you're sent and your job to dismantle finally took its toll on my mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. So when I returned in April, I'm like, hey, we're really getting ready to, to work on this, right? So I have no disagreement with any of the allegations. Absolutely, they're all true. We absolutely have a high turnover rate. We absolutely do uh, have vacant positions. As a matter of fact, ask my staff. I told them when I came back at the airport, you know what? We might as well not even bring anybody on until January if we don't need them. But see, the, the, what's, what's critical is for the work that we needed to do we basically had to build bricks without straw. Mm -hmm. See, it's not like I walked into a, a, a office that existed. Right. Our office never existed. We were stood up during COVID. And, you know, other offices have come on board who had somebody stand them, their operations up. The, the, the director hired just came on in. Ten times the staff that we had. And our office was designed to deal with the root causes of their office. So I'm not going to let really anyone blame my staff. Every single person who was on this team entrusted to my care gave the very best that they had in an impossible situation. Do you know how many times, I mean, why this really caught my attention mm -hmm. and why I really started thinking about, I mean, the kind of the questions that were going on in my mind are around, you know, wrongful termination. I mean, these are HR kind of terms, but um, what I have witnessed my entire career, I mean, I spent 30 mm -hmm. years as an HR person mm -hmm. and I have done a lot of coaching over the last 10 years with black women. Mm -hmm. It is a, I mean, you heard it in my intro, the fact that I even captured that in my intro about the disproportionate termination of black mm -hmm. women, because what I have found, the pattern around black women in corporate and in nonprofits. Mm -hmm. First off, the nonprofits are never funded mm -hmm. properly, mm -hmm. right? There's, mm -hmm. or the rate of funding mm -hmm. that comes in is substantially lower mm -hmm. than what white nonprofits get. Mm -hmm. But there is a similarity between what's happening there and mm -hmm. what happened with you in terms of coming in with no money, mm -hmm. no budget, no staff, and have to start from mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm straw mm -hmm. is that, I think what you said mm -hmm. and then the other issue around what I've watched in the corporate spaces is as soon as black women become effective in other words they start becoming successful they have achieved money into their budgets they have hired people and they have advocated and pushed and got money into a system that has been resisted an mm -hmm. entire 2023 years, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, that's what struck me about this. And mm -hmm. so I guess my question to you is, do you feel that you were wrongfully terminated from your position given the straw that you started with to build? Question number one and question number two, did you accomplish something? I mean, it was interesting to me, the timing of it post-legislative session were you advocating or pushing an envelope that pissed somebody off that made you become a target? I mean, that typically happens to us as black women. So, well, I can't really respond to that because I'm not clearly I just learned that there were reasons that wasn't what I was. told. So there God only knows what other motivations might be at play. However, this is what I do know to be true. I do know to be true that our office indeed was established to ensure that these kinds of actions, personnel actions were conducted in an equitable and respectful way. And I'm really not aware of any other circumstances where leaders found out about their relieving of duties or there were personnel issues from the news reporter. Don't know about that. So, because see, this is why our office was established to make sure that these practices were equitable and respectful. And just from my lens, I'm just only speaking from me, I would, our office would recommend that in those kind of conversations, particularly, particularly around person's employment, that they would first be held with the employee as opposed to with the news reporter, period. I'm excited and I'm thankful for Governor Inslee, uh, Representative Morgan, Representative Gregerson, who was our sponsor, Representative Morgan was our champion. Senator Moncadingra was the sponsor of the bill in 
uh, the Senate who signed our office in the law April 2020, the month before George Floyd was murdered. And there was a, a worldwide outcry for social justice movement, and even here in Washington. And so when we spent, my team uh, was then uh, Tasha Tisdale and Cindy Varley, they spent incredible hours making sure that we listened to thousands of people across the state for them to weigh in and help co-create what's now referred to as our pro-equity anti-racism ecosystem. With the help of friends that, uh, with Teresa Powell's team at the Department of Social and Health, Health Services, we were able to get a website, a logo, all that built, it's beautiful. With the help of consultants, we were able to get our, 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 our strategic plan finished. So we didn't let the fact that we didn't have funding, and by the way, when I started with no funding, shout out to Pat Lashway, who's no longer here, who covered whatever we needed until we got budget in, in, in July. Who is Pat? She was the former deputy director at Office of Financial Management. Okay. And what's exciting to me or interesting to me really is that in spite of all that work with limited staff, because people are overworked, plus we're remote, never a team, so we had to do some team building. It's hard to work with people that you don't know doing work. It's even more difficult doing work, yes. hard work, yes. nonstop work with people and still try to build a relationship and stay. So I, I get the turnover, I get it. And I, and I, yes, I own that all of the hiring wasn't done on time. I own that, yes, we were underspent, but we turned the corner, we we're gonna do that. But my point is we now have $18 million to spend. We were getting teed up to start staffing. We were teed up this week or the last week to, to do everything that was in those allegations. And I just think, that it is odd that, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person, so I'm not a perfect leader. I make mistakes as a human being. I absolutely made mistakes as a leader. I own that. And I'm also, though, willing to change and grow and learn and do better if it's brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. Yes, this was predictable. You know, typically many black women mm -hmm. have about a two-year life term, really, in, in their position, no matter what the what the what the what the sector, right. it's research. You know, Google it. Yeah. And uh, so causality. Don't know. I know we pushed the needle hard. I know that we were about to roll out our accountability measures for state agencies. I mean, I know that we were doing some things that some thought we were doing too fast. Some we weren't doing the right thing, and some we didn't have the right messenger. I get that. I'm just concerned about the message that how this relief of duties now that we now know um, was, was taking place. Mm -hmm. And what is that, if, if, and if that, and I'm, and I'm concerned about how people are thinking, well, my God, what does this mean for me? Uh, so, and, and I'm not upset with anyone. I, I'm just a, a tad hurt, like I said, just hurt mm -hmm. that that's how I found out. Were you, treat it respectfully on your exit? Excuse me. In that meeting, I'd say yes. Um, honored for being the first. Mentioned that the next person was needed to do something different. But I did feel that um, I was just, did express my concern that the messaging might, you know, cause some questions. Yet I, I felt still respected because when I left that room, I'm like, I have got to get, at least get the flowers and the candy for Jamila and, and Kelly and the governor just so they know that I thank them, I appreciate them. They played their parts perfectly. It was, definitely was time to go from my perspective, relieved, right? Mm -hmm. But just felt that, wow, um, just felt treated differently. I was just wondering, my, I was because I was rolling in my brain, well, how many leaders do I know don't have an opportunity to, like I said, write the email, the bittersweet, it's with bittersweet emotion I'm leaving, email. Connect with their staff, put things in order, get the successor in place, uh, have the party, put an out of office reply on the email. That felt just a little different, I wouldn't say disrespectful. 
Were there other agencies? Are there other agencies here in Washington State under leadership that is non-Black that face the same type of issues? The high turnover rates, the, um, you know, A, B, and C. Are there other agencies? I've had some good conversations with um, some dear agency leaders. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, we got to do some work. We got to get people hired. As a matter of fact, I I described those issues that are now in the press or whatever as this is a hot mess and we need to spend, you know, I just need to spend, we need to spend some time. I guess I need to spend some time to just drop down the boots on the ground and be present now to just get it done with staff. And my, my colleagues would say, Oh, Dr. J and all of our agencies this is a hot mess. I was like, no, I've got to put infrastructure in place. We need to hire staff. You know, we need to sit and there. And, and again, a couple, I'm just thinking of a couple whose name I'm not going to mention publicly because I don't have their permission. They're like, oh, you'll find that in every agency. Now, they might have been just being nice and saying it so I would feel better, or it might very well have been true. But see, as in state agency, things move quickly. We're there to serve the public, and that's our priority. you know. And so I actually am relieved when I left the meeting knowing, hey, you all think it's time now to start laying this infrastructure to establish, sustain this work? I'm all in for that because I did what I was sent to do, be the demolition crew, if you will, to start laying the foundation. And when you're when you are laying a foundation and breaking new ground, you don't use a toothbrush. You use a wrecking ball. So the wrecking ball portion of my work was finished. And now it's time for someone to come in and do the other work. Well, that tends to be um, the narrative, right? They mm-hmm. black women are brought in to fix, I'll say, stuff. Stuff to fix stuff mm-hmm. that has been brewing and going on for a long time, and then the window of opportunity to turn things around is narrow. And the reason I asked about other agencies is because the standards that are typically held for black women are very different than other people. Um, many, you know, other leaders, non people of color are given a lot of grace mm-hmm. and a lot of latitude and a lot of money mm-hmm. to help them be supportive. And so when mm-hmm. I hear you know, the director of equity of all <laughs> positions, right? <laughs> of all positions, the director of equity. Like, were you ever put on any kind of performance plan or anything like that? Well, no, this is no. <laughs> okay. Like I said, those issues that they gave us reasons were issues that I brought up in January to address. And again, the, what you call a relief of duty conversation. Yes. I really thought that we had left on one accord. So when I, you know, my, my, the message for me was, hey, I served at the pleasure of the governor. The governor was pleased with what I did and is now pleased to do something different moving on to the next phase. End of story. And when I was asked, well, so did they give you a reason? My child, you need to go talk to them. Serve at the pleasure. They were pleased with what I did because that's what the, that's what I was told. And they were pleased to go in another direction, which is what I was told. And that's what I believed. And. You know, what's for most concerning to me about the whole situation, for which I'm also thankful, though, is it wasn't until this happened this way, because, again, had I been able to do the it's with bittersweet emotion and put things in order and the out of office reply in the party, we would not be sitting here today. Mm -hmm. But because everything played out the way it did, and I believe God's plan is perfect, I now really understand how people were shocked when they heard they were disillusioned, lost hope because they thought because Dr. J made it easy that, you know, we were really going to be moving forward in this state and that there's going to be a better life for them and their children, unquote. That broke my heart when I heard that. When leaders started reaching out and saying, wow, we look to you to say what needed to be said in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could always depend on Dr. J to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and many were wondering, well, what does this mean for equity mm-hmm. in the state? Mm-hmm. Well, the question is, what are you willing to risk? Mm-hmm. What's love got to do with it? I'm willing to give career my life if I have to, because this is missionary work for me. I mean, this is a calling. Mm-hmm. This is destiny for me. What's going to happen to equity and justice for all in the state? It's going to determine on what people are willing to step up 
speak up and knowing that consequences might be mm. you're too loud, you're mm. too uh, assertive, you're too direct. You're, you're too, too black. You're too black in white spaces. <laughs> yes. Or this too is, whatever. You know, I, I say it a little cynical, but it's true, right? There is, you know, you and I were chatting briefly before we came on air, and it's interesting because here I sit in front of my dark skin sister with my high yellow self, and you would think that I haven't gone through, and every other black woman, uh, no matter, you know, I'm the house Negro, you're the field one, right? And the, the system that is still out there still does this. And in fact, it works to pit women who look like me against women who look like you. Right. And yet when we rise above that system and or push back and challenge it, even though they may not consciously know that they're participating in it, I question if this was at play for you because for things to come at you out of left field says to me that there was something else mulling around inside of the organization. And the question about who is it our own folks who are doing this to each other? I don't have an answer to that. Do you want to respond to that? I do. Funny you should go there because, (laughs) well, first of all, you're not the house Negro. I'm not the house the field Negro. But those are the terms um, yes. for the conversation. Correct. And see, and you just gave the justification for why our office is leading with race. Mm-hmm. We're not doing DEI. Diversity is any difference whatsoever. We've got 60,000 people across state government. We don't need any diversity goals. We're already diverse. And so we don't use, because none of us is the same. Mm-hmm. So we never use diversity as code for race. We're not talking about inclusion because who wants to be included in an oppressive Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. we're seeking to dismantle. We're talking about belonging Mm -hmm. and equity is ensuring that people who've been left out and left behind have the that resources and policies are prioritized to make them whole. And, and, And so. Yes, all of that was at play and, and there was a lot of pushback in our pro-equity anti-racism name. And I give, I have to give the governor and, and the governor's chief of staff and deputy chief of staff credit because they could have told us to change that name and they did not. But that name didn't even come from me. That name came from staff that we asked to work with us to create a name for this work that they, they created pro-equity anti-racism, because until we deal with equity in a strategic, intentional way Mm -hmm. and measure results, which is what we were just getting ready to roll out last week, I don't know if those accountability measures are out, and deal with anti-racism rooted in the chattel slavery system, we're just going to perpetuate harm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think about now using that analogy... What happened to me in the way, not what happened, the way Mm -hmm. I learned the reasons for the conversation of resignation or uh, termination uh, is shocking to me. However, it would be considered, oh, Dr. J is at the whipping post. Mm. She is being made an example now publicly. Publicly. I mean, who wants to find out from your employer that they had issues with you, uh, your performance, and you thought that everything was cool? Nobody. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even, this is not even an indictment on them. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, how many times has this happened to other people? Mm-hmm. And, and on, in that system, oftentimes people who stand up, show up, speak up, speak out, uh, come up, show up in their authentic self, you know, don't fit in, talk a little lower and don't move so that they don't you know, threaten the people or try to scare the people and say the right things in the right way. Downplay so, ourselves. So that everybody is, is safe, yes. whatever that means. You know, and that's a culture mm-hmm. piece. And so I just pray that no one is afraid of speaking up, showing up. No one feels controlled that we continue to show up and speak up. Mm-hmm. Yet there are, I know, many people suffering throughout not only state government, but throughout employment knowing they don't have the resources they need to succeed. People of color, people have been othered. Mm -hmm. People of color, black, indigenous people of color, people with disabilities, members in the LGBTQ community, feel like they have to fit in in order to feed their family. Mm -hmm. Because if they rock the boat or are too 
vocal about equity or even DEI, even, that they might lose their job. I want to take a quick commercial break and then I want to pick back up and talk about the people left behind because it is worthy of further conversation about what this is all going to mean. So let's just take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Basically, fam, believe in giving. Like, we have to be willing to give more. And people seem to always think giving means money. But nah, bro. It's like you can give time. You can give understanding. You can give access. You can give a listening ear and an open heart. You can give and share your God-given gifts and talents. But you just got to give. What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. I'm glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basin wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. We are having a conversation this evening with... Uh, Dr. Karen Johnson, known as Dr. J, who was recently relieved of the duties of the office for the Director of Equity for Washington State. A very powerful first half talking about her perspective and her feelings um, and her successes that she has accomplished uh, during her tenure, her two-year tenure, the two years that I often say and read about it in my book, The Life Cycle of a Black Woman and What Happens to Black Women what happens to powerful black women when we have risen to levels of power and influence. And so um, I wanna come back to Dr. J where we started to go into is the people left behind. And um, I imagine that the team of people that you had who uh, thought very highly of you and who, you know, all, all women and particularly us black women want champions of somebody else who's willing to go toe to toe and fight for equity. And so I wonder about the team that you left behind. What thoughts or comments do you have about them? Let me do my best okay. without crying. Because you see, on the plantation, people would wake up and loved ones would be gone. Mothers, sisters, gone forever. Never to be said, seen again. Not given the opportunity to say goodbye. Now, I was blessed, though, because God was with me. And on Tuesday, I sensed that my tenure was coming to an end. And so I did say to them, tomorrow could very well be my, my last day here. I had no idea. And when the messenger is removed, make sure that the message and the movement continues. Stand up, show up, speak up, or I'll be all over you. And so to my team that was with me, I just say, I love you. I miss you. I know you're going to rock it. You have our blueprint to move forward. And just know that I love you and you will always be in my heart. Get that community advisory board launched in July, Megan. Trey and Rook, be sure to make sure that the digital equity work has all the communications that it needs so people who need access to technology and learn how to use it, can use it and in a language that makes sense to them. Kathy and Kate, build those dashboards. Thank you, Spencer, for helping us and Sue Richards. Thank you for helping us. And make sure, Ricardo, thank you for helping us get the website up to date. B, do all you can to make sure that the agencies have the technical assistance that they need. 
to build their capacity, their muscle memory to embed equity in all that they do. And Jenny and Dana, please, please just be wind under everyone's wings and please sure to monitor that equity info box so everybody knows that when they send an email there, they're going to get a response and just make sure that everything just flows. And Megan, just continue to shine, continue to do you. And I, right now, I don't even have you all in front of me, so I hope I didn't miss anybody. But just know this is Dr. J. And do the daily flow, please. Even though I'm not there, please, please continue the daily flow if you can. Because that was my way of connecting with the people and making sure that they were encouraged in this work. Because as we know, dismantling systems of oppression and racism is hard. And people sometimes just needing an encouraging word. So that's what I would say to my team. Oh, and don't forget now, we have our plan for the rest of the year. <laughs> You've got the agenda for the October convening. Uh, remember to recognize and do Thanksgiving in November. And be sure to take the entire month of December off so you can rest because you worked hard. And be sure to come up with a good plan for our $18 million that thanks to you, we have money for expert consultation bead, bring them in. Money, Megan, to make sure that people who come to us are compensated for their lived experience. Money for all of our accessibility needs to make sure that whatever we publish, whatever, oh, did I say we? Whatever you publish, whatever you do, they can access you in whatever way that makes sense to them. And there's also money for about seven and a half or eight new employees. So go for it. Shine. Rise. You got this. Thank you. Because I didn't have a chance to have closure. Mm. I'm glad. This, my team? This, is, this is why Black media matters, right? Like, um, I'm glad that you have an opportunity. Are you okay to continue? We can wait a moment if you need a moment. I read the daily flow every day. I just want you to know. <clears throat> so I'm grateful that you do that, that you started that. For those who don't know what the daily flow is, it drops into our email boxes every morning and it's inspiration. And it's inspiration to help us all to keep going because this work is not easy. And as you can see sitting here, with another black woman leader who's been leading it, the toll that it takes on us personally is significant. Dr. J, I know this isn't your issue anymore, but part of what, since we're talking about the team that's left behind, you know, I read today, um, I was just trying to see if there were any more articles that came out, and I read that there is an, they have taken the department and put it um, under the HR director that works for the state of Washington. Let me say that the playbook of equity work in corporations, particularly when the equity or diversity leader out of the C-suite or the double lines mm -hmm. reports into the chief, the CEO in business in this mm -hmm. case, the governor, mm -hmm. many times what happens, more times than not, in fact, to our audience, you can Google it. Just go look at, you know, chief diversity officer and look who those positions report to. The work tends to get shoved under an HR department, which an HR department is not incented to drive change for it. I have my own issues being a former HR person about the harm that HR can and does do to people. And so I, I guess I'm just maybe making a plea that this work, that the new person that comes in is not reporting into HR, that it stays in the C-suite and that attention is continued to be given towards this work mm -hmm. because even though it's uncomfortable to do and people feel challenged, it's necessary. And we should be role modeling that in this state. Who's the first to stand up in office of equity? What you are describing is a trend and a pattern and a way to neutralize, minimize, and enculturate the work just so that it maintains the status quo. I am confident that 
because of our statute, the way it's written, the Office of Equity in, in statute is located in the office of the governor. And so, and, and right now the person who is holding down the fort until the governor's office appoints an interim before they make a permanent selection is indeed from uh, HR over their book of business where most of the DEI work sits. And I, at the moment, you could be right, I don't see it as a signal that this work is going to go under uh, the Office of Financial Management because of our statute. And I do want to take this moment to say, Angela, Omar, <laughs> I can't wait to be, matter of fact, excuse me, I, I'm going to go online and probably apply to be a member of the Community Action Board. Uh, now that I have all kinds of time, advisory board, since I have all kinds of time. And there also was, uh, we hired Jean-Paul and Sabrina and Renisha. I never got a chance to meet you yet, but I know you all. I can't wait for the agencies to see the incredible work and toolkits that you all put together for relational partnership. So that's to the team. And, you know, this is really significant because there's a difference between what's referred to as DEI, mm -hmm. which is usually a workforce, uh, HR mm -hmm. workforce-focused function, mm -hmm. as opposed to equity work that is concerned about how we do all the billion things we do each and every day for our employees, for their customers we serve, and how we run our businesses, our laws, our policies, our practices, our procedures. So equity is really about, if we think about it, I think about it this way. The people who do the work, team of highly engaged, talented workforce staff, who together deliver superior services, our service delivery, to our satisfied Washingtonians, our customers, in a way that honors their dignity, humanity, respect. For those listening to me who might be in DSHS, Community Services Division, we refer to this as respect our triple bottom line, employee service delivery, customer satisfaction. That's more than just workforce development because equity is about, yes, making sure that we have a, a, a workforce who wants to bring their A game each and every day in their authentic self, their authentic self, not their assimilated self to do great work with other people, to deliver superior service, not be mediocre, superior services to those Washingtonians, those people who come to us in need. And that's where our work is so critical because we're focusing on reducing disparities. Where do we have inequities in our workforce, in our contracting with minority-owned businesses? And where can we make improvements in the outcomes of the people that we serve? Because the people that we serve, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, told us that we as state government have harmed them and they want us to acknowledge that and to apologize for that and to make changes. And I'm just proud that we, through our executive order, to, I keep saying we, that the, the state of Washington has an executive order 2204 on implementing our pro-equity anti-racism racism ecosystem where everything we do, everything the state does is in relational partnership with the people that have been harmed by government. So it's something to be, that's something to be proud of. And to hear you, to hear you talking um, and using um you know, um, this work ain't easy. Um, what it does to us physically, what it does to us mentally um, is almost difficult to put into words. I myself have been through it. I think most black women who have risen to executive ranks have or know that they have to play smaller in order to protect themselves and the people around them. And it's a very difficult thing for 
women, I don't know how old you are, but I, I'm very open about my age, right? So I'm right at 59. Like I'm at the zero Fs anymore about what people think because I'm free. I'm behaving free. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do that, I can't function anymore because mm-hmm. it's been so paralyzing to hear opinions and perspectives, particularly from people who don't live in the skin and certainly who don't rise to these levels and then have to take a public lynching, right? You find mm-hmm. out in Best Buy that mm-hmm. your job is gone. Mm-hmm. The reasons why it was gone. The reasons why it was gone, yes. Yeah. You know, I know this isn't the right time to ask this question, but, you know, do you have any thoughts about what's next for yourself? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, you've been thinking. This is missionary work, so this is not, (laughs) you know, this is not a career move for me. This is a God assignment. So my work actually begins now because, you see, the only piece, plantation, if you will, I didn't know how it operated was the state. I started as a Fed, so I've been a nonprofit world, private sector, um, ministry, faith-based organizations, churches. <coughs> Excuse me. But I didn't have the state perspective, so now I have that. And I'm looking forward first to writing the book. That's the first thing I really want to do just to, to bless the people. I want to give a how-to for those who will be leading systemic transformative change across public institutions in general, state government systems in particular, from my lived experience, because this is a story to tell from even getting to the interview process, because I've got people to thank who talked me into even applying because I knew what the consequences for black women would be. Mm -hmm. Similar to, we pretty much know that if you're driving while black, jogging while black, sleeping in your own bed while black, mm-hmm. you're gonna going grocery shopping like in Buffalo, May 14th mm-hmm. anniversary, while black, you may not come home with a life. And so we, I knew that um, black women are treated, people believe, and no matter who, who people, not just what, anybody knows that you can say anything, do anything, accuse a black woman of anything. Nobody's going to vet it. Nobody is going to ask you. Nobody might be an exaggeration. In very few instances will they do that. They'll just take the word of the people against you to begin to uh, do whatever and let's release of duties or whatever. So this this research bears this out. I'm not making this up. You can Google this. It's a thing. And so there are no words really except What's love got to do with it? Mm -hmm. See, this is why leaders, people who do this work, I really believe must be endued with love. Mm -hmm. Really have a clear, true north. What are your values? Mm -hmm. What are you not willing to negotiate? And definitely have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know your vibranium, Mm -hmm. like in Wakanda, it's not like we have the vibranium, the gift. We are the gift Mm -hmm. and must know what our gift is. And so that we can bring that to the table and work together with others while encouraging them to know who they are in doing this work. Because it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a good thing I didn't drink coffee (laughs) because who knows? (laughs) It is a thing. And I think it bears, I think it bears commenting that I think it was Angela Davis who made a comment about, or there's a phrase about black women and the fact that we of all the species, we take it from every direction. We take it from white community. We take it in black community. We have to deal with the colorism. We have to deal with the other women's envy. No other species human deals with the amount of pressure and the amount of harm than a black woman. And that's why we're gonna rebuild society based on equity and justice for all. We're brilliant, we're resilient, and we're still here. We are queens, we're phenomenal women. We love, and we're going to be the ones to lead the way. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, you know, you have appeared like we do, which is strong, in control, 
know who we are. But this has had to have an impact on how you feel because it has an impact on us who watch it happen to you. And for those of us who have also experienced this and who know that we are not safe in any space that we go in because we don't know who is going to bring harm to us. And so that whole notion of having our heads on a swivel constantly while we're out here with a microphone and on TV talking about you know, empowering other people, we ourselves are suffering and we deserve to have joy and love and all the things that you talk about. Mm -hmm. And I guess my final question to you is, how do you really feel? I feel like I'm standing outside on a lovely summer day, holding my baby in my left arm while pregnant while my young son is on my left knee. And the man that's my husband is standing on the box with a rope around his neck. And the box has been kicked out from under him and he's now being lynched publicly. And while this is going on, I feel as though the baby in my stomach, my stomach is now ripped open the baby is pulled out, thrown to the ground, and stomped on in front of my eyes. So that my young child will be afraid to do what daddy did, or that's going to happen to him. And I feel like my babies I feel determined that I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that anyone who ever has to go through anything like this will be loved and embraced, and no baby, it hurts. But you're gonna be okay. And I can only pray that as those at the sound of my voice watching this see me go through this. Because when asked, do you wanna retire, or excuse me, resign to be fired? I had to pray. And God said, there's public resurrection follows public crucifixion. No cross, no crown. This is your cross. Well, public, public crucifixion is termination. I would do it again. I'd have the stories come out again if we could get here so others can see this hurts. Dr. J is not superwoman. Yes, Dr. J believes in God. Yet Dr. J has feelings too. What's love got to do with it? Love's got everything to do with it. And that's why I'm here. Because as my closest friends will tell you, I don't even answer feeling questions. I'm a thinker. But this hurts. And we're going to move through this. And I'm grateful that everything has turned out the way it is. Governor Inslee, Jamila Thomas, Kelly Wicker, thank you, everyone, for every role that you played to get me right here, right now, in this moment. Because it's an honor and a privilege to have lived experience now as a black woman in America who's been fired. I consider this a badge of honor. I wonder what my letter from Birmingham jail is going to sound like because I'm free. Thank you for asking me that question. I haven't had a chance to get in touch with my emotions lately because I'm still trying to process what happened at Best Buy. Like a phoenix 
I will rise out of the ashes and so will you. This work will continue. I'm going to be committed, dedicated, show up. We're going to have, we left the Queen's Court with the Office of Equity, so now i got to start the Queen's Mother convening because we are still going to be a model. I'm still going to be an architect of equity, still going to be a change agent for equity, still going to be a builder for equity in the state, which will be a model for the nation, equity and justice for all now and for generations to come. Now, this is where my drop mic moment would be. I don't know where our drop mic moment is uh, is now. Equity and justice for all. Thank you, Dr. J, for being on with us tonight. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you all next week. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.